Hello and welcome to the weekend update on Friday the 6th of January 2023. I'm your host Christopher Gallagher and today we are joined by the wonderful Lorenzo Pacitti. Hello Lorenzo, how are you? Happy New Year! Happy New Year! I'm, I'm very well, I'm very festive. Good, lovely. Uh, happy New Year to you, Lorenzo. Happy New Year to the listeners. We did a little bit of this on on the reaction, but um, you're the first, you're the kind of first footing after the reaction. So thank you for for getting involved. Um, how's things, my friend? Uh, all good. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've been to a gym three days in a row. <laughs> you know, I'm very much doing the January thing. Um, I've I live quite a sedentary work from home lifestyle, and I've taken steps to change that. And I'm I'm joining all the the TikTok mummies and uh, and doing like a a treadmill exercise that doesn't involve running because I don't like running. So I'm I'm on a very high incline for forty minutes. Great stuff. Uh you're doing the whole kind of New Year thing. That's great. Still drinking alcohol? Very much so. <laughs> yes. Vegan veganuary? No. No. Uh, no. But I am. We did discuss um, cutting down red meat to kind of like only for out for dinner. There's no red meat in my house. It seems like for the foreseeable, I've eaten mostly fish. I mean, I think I'm actually doing very well this first week. I must say, I'm now now going through it. I think I've started this week nailing it. Love it, love it. Keep it up, brother. Keep it up. Uh, yeah, and um, we had a couple of days off. I think it's legitimately the first kind of days off I've had without doing anything uh, in four years. So it's been good. Um, yeah, been nice the last couple of days, but we're back at it. Uh, it's the first uh, weekend update we we've done obviously since uh, the game on Tuesday. Uh, sorry, Monday, which we'll kind of briefly talk on. Um, I just want to highlight the fact that um, you know, we didn't really touch on the passing of Frank McGarvey as as much on on the reaction, obviously because of the game and everything. I thought Celtic handled it really well. Um, I spoke to my father over the uh, Christmas period, spoke to a couple of cousins and uncles who got the chance to see McGarvey play. Um, and it's been nice kind of hearing those stories and hearing, you know, how highly rated he was as a footballer. Um, but also he used to live around the corner from my mum and dad as well. And I used to see him in the street and he used to take coaching sessions at, at goals and five asides. And by all accounts, a really nice man as well. So, you know, great player, Great person and uh, RIP. Any kind of thoughts yourself, Lorenzo? Yeah, he's one of those, um, like the way you put it there, these kind of Celtic men of that era, right before, I guess, tons of money came into the game and stuff. Yeah. They're just guys from around Glasgow, you know, at the end of the day. And everyone seems to have a story about a, a Celtic player of the 70s or the 80s who lives near them or who grew up near them or who their granddad knew. Yeah. And I think I mostly knew Frank McGarvey through stories like that that were coming out, you know, when obviously... Since his diagnosis, he was more in the frame on the Celtic Twitter and stuff like that. And you'd see a bunch of stories on Twitter. But just looking deeper into his career, I thought it was... He's got such a... a I'd imagine just a career path that does not exist anymore where he went back to his first club and then ended up in juniors football. It's just like a very... Old school. Grounded, almost working class football career. Yeah. Uh, which is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the fact that, you know, it's, he's been highlighted... Um, you know, go and look at his goals, go and see the kind of major contributions he made to Celtic. And uh, yeah, RIP, what a what a tragic um, thing to happen, obviously, in such a small period of time. Also, this morning, uh, Gianluca Vialli uh, passing away, an icon for me in regards to my love of Italian Serie A football. He was the world record transfer fee for, I think it was a week in 1992, when he went from Sampdoria to Juventus, that was then usurped by... Do you know who it was usurped by? Lorenzo. Lorenzo Pacitti. Oh, my God. Um, Zidane. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> 1992? I us- don't know. It's early in the morning. <laughs> um, it was usurped by Gianluca Lentini, who went from... That's my second guess. Yes. He went from Torino to Milan and then back to Torino. Um yeah, Viali again, just a, another guy who seems to not only have been a you know world class footballer, but also a really nice guy. Someone else who has people have had nothing but nice words and and and, and things to say about him. I mean, Viali maybe a bit. Too, did you see the Viali in his pomp, or were you a little bit? Obviously, you're quite younger than me. I was born ninety four, so football wise, he's he's a little bit before me. But again, very you know, again because of that early nineties Italian football, which is. Like for a lot of people, obviously, it was the such 
uh, publicised. It was so on TV for kind of your generation as well. Yeah. Generation, you're that much older than me. You're a whole generation ahead of me. Jesus. Uh, but then for me, obviously, like, having an interest in Italian football, it's so easy to go back and look at all that stuff. So we were all obsessed with that as well. So everything kind of knew. Yeah. Then look at Viali and then his, you know, punditry and his his kind of character in football. He's so widely known. Um, he just seems like a very straightforward football guy, like a really a football brain where he's just he's a football player, so he knows everything. I think whenever he did punditry, he never tried to come across too pompous. His analysis was never too kind of um, outrageous. Totally. Yeah. yeah, he's like he's he was such a an instinctive striker who loved talking about that. I felt like um, yeah, just like seemed like a total gentleman, great character, and it's always sad to see you know as football gets more kind of. Modern, there's more money. Players become a bit more faceless and a bit more mercenary. Um, so I think any of these kind of characters from this era, when they go, uh, they're going to be missed. And obviously, he's ridiculously young as well. Yeah, 58. Absolutely tragic. Um, part of that, you part of that Juventus team that won the Champions League, but also part of that Sampdoria team that played against Barcelona in the um, Champions League final in '92 at Wembley. Um, yeah, I'm just it's absolutely tragic. Both Frank McGarvey and Gianluca Vialli way too young. Um, yeah, RIP. Genuinely tragic, but you know we start the we try and start the new year a little bit positive. Um, Colin uh, Kearney has an article that's been published on the website about kind of his family's legacy in connection with Celtic. Uh, I'd highly recommend that. I read it this morning and I thought it was a wonderful piece. Um, yeah, um, you should check it out Lorenzo if you, if you haven't yet because it's uh, really thoughtful and just a really fantastic read overall. Um, Right, shall we start? Let's go. Let's talk about Celtic. Um, opening question. How are you feeling four days out from the two-each draw at Ibrox? Obviously, you've not had your chance to get your point across. How are you feeling? The same as I did before the game, in the way that we're in that same position. You know, it's relief in the end because we played badly away from home. Uh, as soon as the final whistle went, it was sheer relief. Yeah. You know, I think we got away with one. Um, but again, if it was flipped the other way, somebody would tell you that's what big teams do. That's what, you know, champions do. They grind out these points where they don't deserve them. Uh, but yeah, we're in, we're still the nine points ahead. We're comfortable leaders, disappointing performance, but that happens away from home in big games sometimes. Um, very pleased with Alistair Johnson's debut. Um, and yeah, just back to feeling like I did in the lead up. So confident again, it's almost like it didn't happen, you know, that, cause yeah. that performance is such an outlier for the Sands team. Uh, we haven't dropped any points. We still lead massively, and I'm just confident and comfortable again. Yeah, um, we've got the reaction, which was about an hour, and, I think an hour and forty odd minutes. Uh, that's available in your feed. Uh, that was recorded straight after the game. Um, the fact, see what you said there about it's almost like it didn't happen. That's, that's weirdly how I feel um, because we are nine points clear. Um, we did the perform the performance being an outlier. I think is kind of key because there have been. So under Ange, there's been performances where we've had where we've been a bit disappointing or a little bit flat, um, which happens, of course. But I just thought we were so poor and performed so badly um, that it is such a big outlier. I mean, how you mentioned relief after the game. Is, is there anything that you can look at and think the reason we didn't play particularly well was because of ARB? Uh, I think Derby games are so much about momentum, particularly Celtic Rangers games with this new, you know, how many fans are allowed in from the away end and stuff. The momentum can swing so massively. We saw that at Celtic Park when we scored those two quick goals in succession and everything was just rocking and bouncing. And I think the Joe Hart era did give Rangers a bit of impetus and just the crowd were up for it. And, uh, you know, this idea when you're when you're the poorer football team, this idea that you've, you can chase down and scream and tackle and that's good you know you're going to do well from that at the end of the day they didn't win the game you know they didn't get three points um I think Celtic I think James Forrest was terrible because it was at Ibrooks and it's James Forrest uh so I think a few, that decision baffles me massively and I wonder if you know people have talked about the potential we fluey thing maybe going through the team or whatever yeah uh, but not for me I think that was a, a kind of insane decision um, you know, the Taylor injury as well. There's just little things that you could maybe point to, but at the end of the day, I think Rangers benefited from that momentum swing, put a bit of pressure on, again, did not have the quality to actually punish us um, and take over the game at all. Uh, but Celtic didn't kind of show their class and start to dominate. They let the kind of 
the they let the momentum swing kind of happen to them, and I think we went a bit passive and a bit complacent. Uh, but again, in general, they they still didn't they didn't beat us. They didn't lay a glove on. They lay the glove on us, but that's fine because we're still where we are. So uh, I think in it, after the performance, I was like, that was bad. That was annoying. I thought we would win, you know, comfortably. I think everyone was maybe excited for a potential fun result at Ibrooks. Yeah. Uh, so it was disappointing at the end of the game, but a week, whatever, four days later, it's it's all fine. You know, it's all good. Yeah, I think for me personally, I think there's an element of, you know, we performed really badly, but we didn't get beat. And what that does is that kind of, the next couple of derbies, it's kind of like, don't forget, don't forget how badly we played. So it's almost, it's good to get that out of, the, it's good to get that really bad performance out of the way in a derby game so that you can always point back to it and say, well, actually, we need that momentum and we can't lose focus. Um, so yeah, I think there's uh, weirdly there's a lot of positives to take from the fact that we performed badly and, and didn't win. Um, Jota, the opening question was pro- I was thinking about you know different opening questions and one of them was around Jota. Um, the situation, what's your what's your kind of thoughts on it? Obviously, he would be considered Celtic's uh, you know third biggest signing and, and stuff, and he was such a marquee signing. And for him not to play Ibrox is a bit. You know, it's a bit odd in a way. What's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, for me, Jota plays every game. Um, but I understand, you know, that's the thing with the, the quality we have up there right now and the different kinds of players we have. Yeah. I'm never going to not understand Maida playing. You know, even if he's in poor form, you're never going to not understand why Angie started Maida um, and the form Maida was in. And he scored nice and early, you know. Uh, so you can kind of forgive a lot of these things um, with hindsight, but even just for the sake of hanging on to Jota, you don't want him to think he's not going to start the big games. Um, again, is was he maybe under the weather still? Was he still carrying anything? Who knows? But there's also an argument to be made that if Jota is on his way back and he's not a hundred million thousand percent, he's some sub to bring on, you know, to a Rangers team ran ragged potentially in the second half, which is what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think when Jota's fit, 100%, he has to start. I think he's that much better than the rest of this league. Um that he's going to come up against. Uh, but it is a tough one. I think this is the the thing when you've got the quality we have and maybe why Angie's been quite clear about players, you know, fan favourites will leave because he, not everyone can get the game time. There's going to be quite a high turnover in the squad maybe because quality players are going to come in, replaced by other quality players and competition for places is all well and good. But if you don't win that competition, you might want to go. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a really tough kind of balancing act because Maid has been so good. I'd I'd be loath to see him out of the team. Jota can play on the right as well. But again, I don't know if you want to start getting into the habit of accommodating players who are worse than Jota or who are not at the quality of Jota for me by moving Jota. You know, I want him to kind of be in his position. It was like when Juranovic played left back a season ago, whatever it was, and the debate. It was before Greg Taylor became Greg Taylor. Yeah. You know, and it was do you put these guys in the team to kind of fit the best 11, but Juranovic for me always had to play on the right. It didn't matter how good the right back was. Uh, and that's how I feel about Jota. For me, he's got to play on the left and uh, it's up to Ange, I guess, how to manage it. But it's a tough one. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, he's the best, potentially the best player on the team. So he's got to play. Yeah, he's a match winner for me and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the kind of big games coming up. We've got, clearly we're, we're back and we'll, we'll talk about the Kamarnock game on Saturday, but then we have Kamarnock next week in the uh, semi-final of the League Cup, which... Always difficult, so it'll be interesting to see who kind of lines up for that. Um, we're going to talk about, actually, do you know, I wanted to highlight the fact that there, <laughs> I just saw, funnily, on um, social media, Rangers fans putting pictures of, like, Andy Halliday up saying, this guy knows what it's all about. We need more guys like like this guy. And I'm like, please get more guys like Andy Halliday. <laughs> please do that. That would be that, terrific. That, that, for me, was one of the big things about that Um the kind of poor performance four days ago in the draw. I think that there's Rangers fans that think Michael Beale is the answer. Yeah. And those subs at the end of that game he made were disastrous. Yes. Um, and everything about Michael Beale to me screams Pedro Cachinha. Everything <laughs> about him. Every sentence that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> I mean, Gerard said some ridiculous, stupid things, you know, and Gerard's been showing up now. Um, you know, he got away with it playing against that Celtic team he played against and ran at the first sight of Ange. Um, Beal's come back up because 
he was getting embarrassed down at QPR. He was on an insane run of form. It all fell apart. The kind of gloss fell off him as this miraculous coach. This idea that he is the man behind Gerard and that kind of thing. Like it doesn't. But Gerard got shown up. So I don't. I, I've never understood um, the media's fascination with Michael Beale uh, and Rangers fans, and I'm I'm quite excited for the League One Championship nomads he will bring to the club in January as if they're, they play championship football, so they must be the best player in Scotland. It'll yeah. be that exact vibe for the next maybe two windows. Um, and then I think he'll be he'll be roundly sacked um, with a, a lot of fanfare. Um, are you surprised? I was going to say, are you surprised by the praise Michael Beale's getting, but he's the Rangers manager in Scotland, so uh, you shouldn't be, but... They are talking about him like he's it was a masterstroke and stuff, and how great how great he kind of performed in the manager position. We'll see. And do you know what? It's going to be a fun ride because we're nine points clear, and um, us having a little bump in the road is probably the worst thing for them because I think it will really focus Ange and it will really focus the players. Um, we're going to go over some news. From the last couple of days, uh, we've got some kind of current news. It's just kind of broken, but we're talking through some some of the news. Uh, Celtic are set for SFA crunch talks over VAR as Connor Goldson's Rangers flashpoint um, makes the Parkhead uh, club furious. Um, Parkhead Chiefs are looking for talks with Hamden officials for clarification regarding the ongoing issues surrounding the video assistant referees process. Celtic are unhappy at number of calls since the setup was brought in before the World Cup. Doi. Um, did you need Chris Sutton? Oh, sorry. Um, in the Derby showdown, they were convinced Ref John Beaton should have been instructed to take another look after the ball appeared to strike appeared to strike Connor Goldson's hands in the box in the thrilling draw. The rulebook does not allow does allow players to get off the hook if they make themselves bigger in a reflex action to protect their face. I mean, what what the fuck? Um, Chris Sutton is quoted as saying, "It's not about John Beaton not going over to have a look. He's acting on advice he's getting from the VAR official, and they've told him he's made the correct call and that it was not a penalty. But I find that incredible. It's not up for debate. It was a penalty kick that would have been given every single time in England. There wouldn't have even been an argument. Some people are saying Conal Goldson was protecting his face." What, with his hands above his head? Come off it, that is nonsense. You can twist the rule book any way you want, but it's down to interpretation, and we've seen that kind of penalty all the time. You have to wonder what Willie Collum and the VAR hut is doing in that situation. What is he saying? It makes you wonder. Is it incompetence, or are they just bottle it and making the big call? Um, thoughts? Thoughts on Celtic wanting talks? Thoughts on the decision? Thoughts on all of it? Uh, the decision's mental. Um the talks, I mean, they've not even the way they frame the talks is very straightforward and very reasonable. Not even, you know, you couldn't you couldn't claim this to be some sort of conspiracy thing. They've they've asked why you see the refs go to the monitor all the time. All the time. All the time. And this is a, a decision that at the very least is has has been incredibly contentious. Um and the referee's job in the middle of the park is to have responsibility for the big decisions. You know, the VR's meant to be a, a help. You know, not make the decisions for you. Um, if we're going to waste all this time anyway with VAR, why not? You know, take a minute to go look at the the monitor for a massive derby game with a really contentious penalty shot. You know, it's it's kind of what it's there for, uh, which has baffled me. And I think you know, people talk about the consistency of these handball decisions. There's a much bigger argument around you know the handball rule being terrible, but. None of these decisions have been made with the handball rules in mind, it seems, because the, the ones that have been given against, you know, Bernabe and Matt O'Reilly in particular and the Hearts defender we didn't get yeah. um, that one, they have been so ridiculous. And again, they've all been looked at multiple times, whether they were, you know, they all ended up getting given or not given and they were all insane decisions, but they get looked at. You know, this one didn't even get looked at. It was just a, a blanket case of of no. And VR, the benefit of VR should be that you get the context of the game. You know, we talked about this, I think, with the that free kick um, yeah. when we were called offside, whatever it was, um, whether he blew the whistle. VR is supposed to give you the context of the game so you don't have to blow the whistle that fast. You don't have to make the decision in the moment. In the moment, could you believe that Conor Goldson just had his hands in front of his face and it hit his hands? Maybe. But we have VAR now, so you can go look at the context of it, see where his arms are, see that they were raised before the ball was even kicked. Correct. You know, and... It's all fine and good protecting your face. Nobody should break their nose over a game of football. But if you do choose to do that with big wide arms and it hits your hand, you should expect that you're potentially going to be committing a handball by hitting the ball with your hands. 
and punching it over the bar. Uh, I thought it was insane all round, but they're not looking at the screen. Uh, is one that is is kind of indefensible, doesn't make any sense, um, and just negates the the whole point of having a referee in the middle. I can completely agree. Uh, Stuart Dougal quoted as saying on the BBC, "The current law at the moment are the current laws at the moment are: Did the player make himself unnaturally bigger? Has there actually been a handball? If you're a Celtic fan, I'm sure you're going to claim, yes, I can see a little nick there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> If it does, where is it hitting? It looks as if it's going to hit his head. So he's not making his body unnaturally bigger? Insane. Insane. Insane, because his arms are out. His arms how, is are... It not, how is it not unnaturally bigger when his arms are stretched out? Another key factor here is, are his hands hands out with his body? No. The distance <laughs> between the two players is something else that VAR and the referee should take into consideration. And it's conclusive that there is actually a handball where the hands are above the shoulder beard. I, I, do you know what? If you think that, oh, fucking hell, man. Just, aye, that's what it is. Uh, Celtic, as I say, it says Celtic are looking to have conversations with the SFA, which I think is right. I think the fans have been calling for it just for a sort of, can you explain? I, I'd like Celtic just to say, just explain these situations to us. Like, let's, you know, get on, get on board because it is happening to us more than it's happening to anyone else, Lorenzo. But at the bare minimum, you know, if, we have to play their game, um, and it puts some pressure on publicly. You know, if that's if that's if you have to go low, which is doing this kind of state public statement thing uh, to put some pressure on the authorities, then so be it. Because we're we're being unfairly hamstrung right now, whether it's by incompetence or something else. It doesn't matter. The point is, we are seeing a, a deficit from these handballs and these decisions. Other teams aren't. I saw some insane stat about Rangers penalty differential or VR differential yeah. or something like that, and. Um, you know, I do say if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I wouldn't call this cheating. But I'd say it's maybe lower than we would like to go. But I think putting pressure on the referees is part and parcel of uh, being the top two in Scotland, it seems. So um, maybe Celtic putting a statement out will at least mean there's a bit further scrutiny from, from within, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, all we need to do is say that we've got a dossier of evidence and then just not bring that evidence out uh, in huh. any way and then just kind of let it kind of fade out. Um, the Also, there's a police probe into i didn't realize that greg taylor had been hit uh, at the time metal object um the police scotland have said um we are aware of items thrown during the match at ibrox on may the, monday the 2nd of january um one man suffered a minor head injury after being struck with one of these inquiries and then incidents are ongoing uh, you know last april we had the stuff with the bottle being thrown at one of the staff members we'd stuff with the glass um on the on the pitch uh, you go back a couple of years, the guy who came on and attacked Scott Brown, when are we going to get a stadium ban? When are we going to get a bans, fans banned from the stadium? Because it's consistently, and this is the other thing, when people say stuff like they're as bad as each other, this is exactly, this proves exactly that that is not true. Um, it's outrageous that these players can't go and do their work in a safe environment, Lorenzo. Yeah, it's very, as you say, the, the two cheeks and the same arse pattern is very boring, it's very lazy journalism. Yeah, um, it's very easy to do as well. You know, it's it's supposed to be the two sides thing, uh, but all the evidence says otherwise. As you say, if it was any other, I mean, I can't imagine many leagues that would put up with these repeated offences that are so extreme. Yes, you know the glass. I thought the glass on the pitch with Joe Hart was one of the most insane things we've seen in Scottish football. And it kind of got overlooked as like it's... I remember it took ages to clear up, and it was on the TV. It was you know Joe Hart was making it clear how much glass there was. Um, I thought that at the time uh, it was just an inconvenience. That was the way it felt on TV. There's an inconvenience. We'll deal with it. We'll move on with the game. But in you know other leagues, that would be seen as a potential game stopping moment. It would be seen as a as you say stadium match abandon band. moment. That's what I mean. Uh, it was. It's completely insane. The physio getting hit with the bottle as well. Now the fans. Everything about it's ridiculous. Um, it's pathetic that there hasn't been some sort of serious action. I noticed. You know the Rangers supporters group, uh, was it Union Bears or whatever they're called, did their thing about the uh, the police were searching and they were they were going to not do a TIFO because the police are all over them and it's unfair and it's heavy-handed. And we're all very much, you know, we've dealt with the Offensive Football Act, whatever it's called, um, and how heavy-handed the police are and how, and I'm trust me, I'm not standing up for the police at any point here. Uh, but when all these things keep happening, you know, and they keep finding things and people keep getting hit with things and uh, it's just a dangerous environment for the players and the fans. And it's usually when there's a dangerous atmosphere, 
for the fans, they will again pass it off as well. Both sets of fans are a bit rowdy, and you know what the you know what the old firm is like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but when it's the players who are who are dealing with it and staff, um, and it's affecting the full stadium as in terms of you know what they can and can't bring in and what they can do and what they find, uh, it has to go further. And you know we're not sitting here like you know little um, little grasses wanting the wanting the police to do something to Ibrooks, but it's our players that are being affected by this, and it's our fans that are getting hit by things. Yeah, so that's, we're, all we're doing is looking out for the safety of our own. Yeah, and that, that's exactly it. Like um, the fans being rattled by bottles. Um, I saw a lot of that on social media, and it wasn't just Celtic fans; it was like fans of other teams. You know, retweeting Celtic fans saying this happened to us as well. This is you know Ibrooks is notorious for their fans bottling their away support. And it's just like, you know, you know, with everything that's happened over the last couple of years, it, 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 nothing's ever done. It's always kind of, it's, it, it happens in public sight, in plain view. It happens on television. The coverage, you see the coverage of it, and nothing's ever done. And it's almost like just swept under the carpet and just forgotten about. And that's, I just think it's outrageous. I think if you go to work, whatever, whatever work you do, and you're in danger of being assaulted on the pitch or in the office or whatever you do, that's, that's not on. No, I mean, you talk to MD who's, particularly who's outside of Scottish football, you know, if I've had any conversation with friends who aren't into football, whatever, um, or somebody will see on, obviously Twitter's a thing now, so I've got friends that don't really follow football but see things on Twitter and mention Celtic things to me. And um, when the stuff like the Joe Hart thing happened or people getting hit with the bottle the other day it's like oh so did they did they did the game get postponed or also somebody does like a big was like a big arrest or something like that made or is something happened and it's like oh no it's just like that's what the game's like and i don't know they used to kind of but they used to embrace it more as you know the whole most dangerous derby in the world shite whereas it's it, it was really just a lot of sectarianism and bigotry and now there's a lot more actual danger actual danger with, with these games um which they've let creep back in with complacency of this, you know, two sides of the same coin, both as bad as each other, let them get on with it. Yeah. Whereas that's not what's happening. No, not at all. Um, moving on to things on the pitch. Uh, Georgius Jakimakis is on the radar of Danish side FC Mitchelland. Um, surprised? Are you surprised with, uh, and no disrespect to FC Mitchelland in any way, they're a team that have played in the Champions League um, very recently and, you know, they are a, they seem to be a quite a smart club and stuff, but in, in terms of the money they have, the, you know, they, they don't kind of trade in kind of big value, big valuations. Are you surprised that they're being linked with um, our good friend, Georges Giacomacus? Yeah, I think, I, I obviously they've sold quite a few players for big money. Yeah. Um, Evander most recently to the MLS, but Again, it doesn't. I know they've spent money recently as well. They've got a few players in for around this kind of money, a wee bit less than this kind of money. Uh, but I feel like Mitchell, as you said, really well-run, smart club. To buy something like Jack and Marcus, his age, really, his, his age profile and stuff. Yeah, like that. it doesn't really fit this whole kind of player trading development model, which they've done well in, and which is what keeps them going. Um, I think for Jack and Marcus, they've obviously got money right now, and he might get quite a, a decent lucrative contract out of it. And it's a league he knows he can go and score in. And I think Giacomacchus likes being the big man and likes you know, starting and scoring. And there's something to be said for a player who would choose, you know, that kind of route than potentially being benched in the Premier League, you know, and, and made to wait to prove his worth or something like that, or the championship. Yeah. You know, there, there is something to be said about going and playing in Denmark for a really, you know, a, a well-respected club, a club that's very well run, um, and scoring goals and blah blah blah, uh, and getting a nice contract to go into your thirties and you know, so I don't. It's it's surprising just because you think when a guy at Jack and Max has scored so many goals, is going to move. We all kind of assume it's to someday on our level, you know, in terms of um, money and stature in the game. Or obviously, you can't come close to that. But in terms of like a bigger league, you know, somebody's going to go on from the SPL and go to a, a bigger league. This feels like kind of a sideways step, if not a downward step in terms of profile. Uh, but you know, we don't know what his motivations are. He clearly just wants to play. Um, don't you? And... Don't you think they'll like? To, to, sorry, to interrupt. But don't you think his motivation seems that he wants to play at a higher level? Like, and you know, I'd say Scotland to Denmark. You know, Celtic are a, a, I'd say a far bigger club than Mitchelland. I'd say 
that the league maybe there's a lot of similarities in terms of budgets, in terms of stadium size and that, maybe Scotland even a little bit bigger, but ultimately it seems like a sideways step, a step down because you're leaving a bigger club, of course, but in terms of the quality of the, the league, it's like a bit of a sideways step as opposed to the step up, which I always thought he was wanting to do. Yeah, well, that that's my only like confusion about his motivation. I think it probably is more of a kind of, a fit in a contract thing, maybe. Um, because otherwise, well, I suppose if he's wanting to play at a higher level, if we're in a comfortable lead in the league, you know, we're on for automatic Champions League qualification, doesn't get higher level than that. No. There is no Champions League club Jack Max is going to go to, really, that isn't via Denmark, via, you know, a qualifier from Belgium, I don't know, whatever. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a strange decision he has to make. And with his age, considered a lot of the kind of clubs that take chances on players like him, uh, he's too old for, you know, because that's what they spend their money on. And he's going to be, if he is six million, you know, that's pennies to Premier League clubs. It's kind of pennies to bigger championship clubs, but to the kind of clubs who want, um, or who Jack and Max would want to go to right now, who can sneak in the Champions League or who will start him every game, that's a lot of money. Uh, so he's in quite an awkward position, but it does seem very much seems like the writing's on the wall anyway, and uh, something will happen. Uh, six million quid. That too little, too much, just about right. You know, what's your thoughts? It's um, it's tough to be greedy. I think because you know he's had he's had such a great goal scoring record, but the fact is that he isn't our starting striker week in week out. So there's going to be a limit on his price because it's Scotland and his age. And I think his age is a big one because, as I said, the clubs who are going to be interested will think he's too old, so they will need him at a price where they can plug him in. He'll score goals for two seasons, and then they'll see what happens. Um. So six million is not bad. I think it's a good return on what we paid for him. Uh, if we immediately flip it to a Cho, you know, I don't think Andy's complaining. I think what you have to treat it now like the player trading thing and not so much value for money. It's more if we can flip a Jackamacus into two or three players who will then become two or three Jackamacuses, we're doing well. So yeah. I think it's more about what we can what we can get out of him right now to spend in January. Yeah, I think that's the that's the other thing. Kind of maybe people need to kind of try and understand and I'm trying it myself it's not necessarily about Jackamacus is worth this much money it's about yeah. how do we trade him and upgrade on him within the same sort of bracket uh, Cho uh, has been mentioned a number of times um, there's this way, you're, you're a young you're a young gentleman who's on the social medias and all that um, we've also been linked, we've been linked with Cho and we've been linked with Gu his uh, uh, South Korean teammate uh, they're both at different clubs, but um, Hyung-gyo has been tipped with a move to Glasgow um, and he's admitted he hopes to secure a move to Parkhead, claiming Celtic are a prestigious club and they've given me a good offer. And uh, Gu has said uh, that talks with, you know, we've got two guys here who seem to have, Celtic seem to have an interest in. They both uh, have said that Celtic have made a bid for them. Um and then we had this fun social media kind of crossover where they were uh, crossed fingers. Um, it's just all a bit of fun. And uh, I just brought this up because it's just a bit light. Um, there was a, they were on a video call with each other and they were both crossing their fingers and then it was put on Instagram. Um, if we got rid of Jackamacus, not get rid, get rid of is the wrong word, but if we traded Jackamacus and we bring in these two young, hungry South Korean strikers, one with a lot of pedigree and the other one kind of having a bit of a breakout season, holy yep. ma- holy mackerel. Yeah, and I think it's great that they're, you know, obviously we're taking a lot from the social media posts. Yeah. We don't know how, you know, much these guys are pals already anyway and stuff. Um, Cho's got three million odd followers. You know, he's a big, big star over there. Um, so I think he's obviously the kind of guy that will enjoy all this kind of social media presence. But if we get two guys with, you know, just based on their, their stats and on the goals they've scored, on the look of them, they seem like exciting signings. If they're also kind of, you know, as you say, hungry and friends and they come over with that rapport, um, I think that's really exciting. I think that's the kind of thing. Again, we've, we've seen uh, the kind of players and just picked up from the J-League have been guys that have come over with the kind of similar mentality. They want to come to Europe, make an impact. They've been very very hungry, they've really run themselves into the ground. We saw that with Hatati, he kind of ran himself out of steam, yeah. that desperate to make an impact. It's, you know, the the coming to Europe um, for, with these players, it seems like such a big move. 
Uh, and I'm dead excited about it. I oh, think Cho seems like a would be a phenomenal signing. Um, and then if if this guy's going to come with them, that's just even more inc- like interesting and exciting. And we do need, you know, people will. I've noticed people saying like, "Well, it seems like a waste if you know Jack and Marcus wants to leave because he's not getting enough game time. One of these guys is going to play behind Kyogo with Kyogo, whatever. That's not our problem as a football club. We need to sign the best players we can and make them compete for a starting spot." And then one of them might want to leave, and he leaves, and the next man steps up. And that's fine. That's part and parcel of the game. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect, if Kyogo, if we get a bid for Kyogo in the summer, and we've got two young, hungry replacements who could step into his shoes, and, you know, I think, as far as I'm aware, they all kind of have that high-impact, high-energy, sort of similar style. If you've got someone in behind that can step up, you know, everyone, this, I don't mean this to sound thingy, but... And everyone's kind of expendable with the exception of maybe a couple. Um, and expendable is the wrong word. What I mean is everyone has, has a price, has a value. Um, someone who has value. By the way, it's breaking news. Kyogo Furuhashi has been named the SPFL Cinch Premier Player of the Month for December. So congratulations to Kyogo. Um, great goal in the derby. And, uh, we'll Enjoy talk- it while it lasts because you're out in the summer. <laughs> you're it. Um uh, just uh, Oliver Abelgard is wanted by Danish uh, club. Uh, who is he wanted by? Alborg. Um, AAB Alborg. Reports in Russia suggesting Celtic would be prepared to cut short his loan deal and send him back to Ruben Kazan, who are keen to either loan him out again or sell him. Uh, we don't. Uh, they keep reporting that we've got him on loan. We don't actually have him on loan. We've got him on like a year's contract, which is, I think, very, very different. Um, and it's all because of everything that's, you know, happening in, in Russia. Um, Albergard is believed to be keen to explore all his options. Um, I love the way that it was reported as Celtic misfit. <laughs> misfit, the guy's not really um, done anything. Um, we've obviously brought in Awata, who was a, a big sign, and we'll, we'll talk about him um, when we're looking at the Kamarnock game. He's not actually here yet. I think he's literally travelling to Glasgow within the next couple of days. Or, in fact, sorry, I've I seen a report saying he's traveling right now so within the next day or so um is i mean oliver abogard he's been on the bench the last couple of weeks but keys up time's up yeah who gives a fuck to be honest. It seems <laughs> like i i was like every day i think when he signed i was like oh, this is the guy we need uh, yeah profile and you know we've seen players you know kazana a decent club we've seen hacks come in and tear it up it seemed like well this is spot on big big defensive mid he's gonna play in the champions league didn't play in a single fucking game really um, yeah, who cares? I mean, he seems like a, he seems like a, he's one of these guys that I know from like other players' Instagrams. He's just one of the, he's part of like the handsome crew. Yeah. You know, and they go out for nice dinners and then they go to like Malaga on holiday together and stuff like that or Dubai. Uh, they seem like that, but um, he seems like a nice man. I don't know. He's got a lovely, lovely, nice, wee, innocent face. Uh, I wish him well, but uh, obviously Awata is next man up in terms of trying to fill that gap. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, as I say, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. Um, we'll, uh, we will, oh, in January, we'll have a couple of transfer window podcasts um, in which we'll kind of de- delve deep into the new signings, Awata, Kobayashi, um, even into Johnson. Um, in regards to the derby, Christian and Graham will cover that on the review on Tuesday as well, so everything will be getting covered. Don't worry about it. Um, we've been linked with uh, Sayed Hamilovic uh, and uh, Ardon... Jashiri, Jashari, Jashari, um, Swiss international, uh, and uh, it, it just kind of seems like everything's been thrown at the kind of I I I kind of believe more the sort of uh, South Korean uh, connection than I do necessarily with a lot of the other things, just because it's a market and knows or, or yep. he certainly knows the Japanese market, and I know that he sends a lot of scouts out to Eastern Europe and sorry, um, sorry East Asia, and a lot of different sort of uh, scouting has taken place in markets that maybe aren't as explored by European clubs. But um, uh, Yashiri is a guy that's he's twenty years old. He was quoted as saying. Um, He's aware of all the speculation. He's happy where he is at the moment with the club. He's focusing on everything. Um, but six million quid for a 20-year-old, it just kind of seems a bit like that's not going to happen. No, I mean, 20-year-old who, you know, plays for a very, very good national team. Yeah. Take, you know, but he's also a cap- he's a captain, I think. Um, but I, it does just seem like a bunch of random links 
when I googled his name this morning, um, Leeds were linked with him as well. It's just one of those players I think whose agents obviously doing his job doing and his rounds, yep. iron his name around. And you know, if if Leeds want a player, um, if a Premier League club wants a player, their their transfer asking price goes up by five or six million anyway. Yeah, it's not a market we operate in. Um, a twenty year old, I mean, he might be. I've never I've never watched him play. You might be a 20-year-old that could come in and be the best player on the team, but for Celtic to spend six million on a 20-year-old, they would have to be, you know, like a guy that's going to come in and like it, it's Edward, you know, level of we know this guy is going to be yeah, and that's that's the thing with like Edward and with Jota. It was a try before you buy. You know, we 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 yeah. tried we tried them both out, and we realised that the valuation that they have on their name. If we buy them, they will fulfil at least that level. Whereas, um, I'm not saying in any way that um, Shashiri isn't a, a good player. I, I just don't know enough about him yet. Again, something we'll look at with the, the transfer uh, committee. Uh, Hamilic uh, plays in Poland. He's having a kind of um, standout season. Seven, four, uh, nine goals, four assists in 17 games. It just seems a bit, again, just agent talk maybe. Yeah, again, the first thing I came on a Google them is a month ago, somebody made a welcome to Celtic YouTube uh, <laughs> compilation for him. Um, so I don't know. I think, as you say, it's January. And it's funny to be in a position now where we, we know what Angel likes. We know about the, the club's intent to scout Asia because it's underrepresented by European scouts. Um, that all these kind of Europeans uh, signings now that would cost actual money seem... So obviously, like paper talk, you know, yeah. if one of them comes up, then I mean, isn't cool. We'll go with it, but it does just seem like so out of the profile we're looking at right now. Um, but it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to be linked with kind of players on form, uh, just in case they ever come off. But I don't, I don't really see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's most of the news uh, we've got covered. Uh, now it's time for the court report. <laughs> It was a successful week for the Celtic B-side, who returned to action for the first time since the 6th of December. First up for the young Celts, fresh off the back of three postponed spectres, was the first Glasgow Derby outing of the season in the World League. Darren Dean's team and as a side were given the fantastic opportunity to play against the Rangers B-side at Celtic Park. The Celtic coach enjoyed in a strong starting 11, which included the injury return for players such as Ben Summers and Adam Brooks, who had spent several weeks out. There was also a place in the side for Boston Lyle Rocco Vata, who had recently spent time with the first team. Vata was also coming off the back of his first team debut against Hibernian at Eastern Road just a few days previous. The game didn't start particularly well for the boys, who found themselves going 1-0 behind after Charlie McCann scored for a penalty kick. However, they didn't let their friend confidence and went on to put in a great performance, pushing for the liver before the break. It eventually came just before half-time as Rocco Vata dispatched of the ball inside the penalty area after superb work from Ben Summers in the wide area. It was a strong way to end the half, and the Hooks were looking to build upon their display going into the second. However, despite the fact Celtic were still competing well, the game had become a lot more open and Rangers B took advantage, scoring their second goal with 19 minutes from time. It would have come as a gutting blow to the youngsters after getting themselves back into proceedings. Once again though, as Celtic said, didn't let their heads drop and went on to score their second equaliser of the game just four minutes later. The Celtic pounced upon a mistake in possession by the away side's defence and Kenzie Carson was on hand to force the ball home. The final 10 minutes of the derby would prove to be game-defining, as the boys put on a show, producing three goals as they've rounded off 2022 in style. An own goal from Charlie McCann handed Celtic the lead, much to the enjoyment of Rocco Vata and his teammates. Clinical double from Joey Dawson off the bench saw the hoops come away emphatic 5-2 winners. This was the Celtic B-side's first victory over Glasgow rivals in the fifth tier of Scottish football, and a well-deserved reward for the performance at Paradise. The boys took their moment to celebrate with the Celtic Park crowd, and it was a fantastic way to send off a busy year. There may be much to enjoy about the Derby victory back again. However, it wasn't long before the Hoops were back in action on the 4th of January against Civil Service Shores. After Rangers B suffered another defeat to the hands of Spartans the night previous, victory at the Excelsior Stadium would put Celtic in pole position to head to top spot. The coaches made three changes to the side, which defeated Rangers last Friday, and they proved to be good calls as Darby goalscorer Joey Dawson opened the scoring for the Hoops. The Englishman's strike was swiftly followed by another man who had an impact off the bench last week as Ben Quinn rounded off tidy move with a low strike. Boyce had all three points backed up by just after the hour mark and for Adam Brooks converting the spot kick won by Kenzie Cars. And the scoring was rounded off with Dawson grabbing himself another double. Final goal with a brilliant work move started from the back and finished from the number nine who has now scored four goals in his last two games. It was a good way for the young Celts to kick off 2023 defeating a potentially tricky opponent comfortably 
and now we sit with just one point behind Spartans at the top of the whole league. However, Celtic do still have two games at hand. Next up is another test this Saturday as we travel to Broadwood Stadium to face Open Gold Brumel. Thank you to Lewis Laird for the fantastic work. It's good to catch up on with the B team and see how they're doing. Uh, some good results there uh, over the festive period. Um, Celtic are taking on Kilmarnock. Celtic Park as we return to uh, league action after the derby. How are you feeling about this game? What does this game bring up to you? Um, excited. You know, I think they've got a point to prove after the derby. Angel will be writing about them for not performing as they should. Um, we've got new players who could potentially make an appearance. I want to see more of Johnson again. Um, I feel like Juranovic, the writing's on the wall that he's on his way out. Yeah. Um, maybe we should just pretend that he was, you know, not fully fit the other day and park him and act like he's not quite fit. You know what I mean? Maybe we should just cut our losses on that one and start just playing Johnson um, and give Bernabe a run in the team if, if Taylor's out. It just feels like playing Juranovic right now, granted, I love Juranovic, phenomenal player, um, but if he's still a little bit unfit, I don't necessarily, I don't buy this whole thing that he was, you know, head's gone the other day or anything like that. That's That's not how I see it. I think he's, he was maybe a little bit unfit. He's not good at left back. You know, he isn't. Um, and he just get ran ragged by a player whose only thing is speed. Uh, and that's disappointing for him. But for me, you just play Johnson, you play Bernabe. Uh, I'm excited about the game. I think they'll have a point to prove. I think there'll be goals. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if Hatati is good enough. Is he good enough to play for Celtic? We'll see. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, I'm well, just... That, that, that's a reference to that tweet, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I I, just... Someone uh, WhatsApped, uh, WhatsApped us with uh, a question. I think it was Dale Sherry saying, is, is Hattati... Like, I've, I've, <laughs> last couple of days, I've just tried to kind of disconnect myself with everything just because I wanted to have a break. And um, coming back to stuff like, is Hattati good enough for Celtic? I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then, yeah, I, there's the rumblings of that tweet. Jesus. Um in regards to Taylor, we'll find out, uh, you know, probably the press conference will be this this afternoon. Uh, what's your feelings on Taylor? You, you've mentioned Bernabe, but Taylor has been exceptional for us. It's yep. um, it's a bit of a worry. Yes, I'm not a, I'm not a physio, um, so I never want to just assume, would you believe? <laughs> uh, so I never want to ever kind of say, well, it was his hamstring, so let's rest him. That's what I would do in football manager, to yeah. be clear. Yes. I would not play around with a hamstring injury. Physios of professional football clubs know much better than me. Um, I would always love to see Taylor play, and I would assume he's so important to the team if Taylor starts, it's because he's fit. And I would have no concerns, and that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, I think um, Bernabe showed enough that I would be excited to see him play. I think particularly going forward, his more recent appearances, he's been quite direct and exciting. Um, again, we've got our we've got our two centre backs back, so I don't feel as worried now about you know chopping and changing the defence around them. Yeah, they're the rock. You know, I don't worry about conceding goals um, because of those two because they're back, and that's why I'm very happy to have a right back who's played one game for us and a left back who we don't really who's still kind of an unknown quantity. Um, Taylor obviously is so central to what we do uh, as a team that missing him would be a miss, and it's impossible to say otherwise. Uh, the game would have to change a little bit. But I think Bernabe's got the quality, particularly for a Kilmarnock, uh, that I'd feel confident in seeing him start. But yeah, if Taylor's fit, I'd never want to see Taylor at that team. Yeah, I, I mean, Matt, for me, you know, playing Bernabe against Kilmarnock at Celtic Park, I'm confident that's no problem. Yeah. Um, playing Bernabe at Hamden in the League Cup semi-final, um, I still don't think he would be completely out of his depth or anything, but... Uh, you know he's he's an unknown quantity. He's been very impressive when he's played under the right circumstances. Um, so I, again, it's just still he'll still be acclimatizing. He's not had a real run of games. I'd very much prefer Taylor to be back for for the the League Cup semi final. Um, be, just because I think of the experience and and and, and yep. such, and you know the fact that Juranovic came on at left back ahead of Bernabe. And a game with a lot of pressure, I think, maybe says that Ange doesn't maybe feel he's ready. And I do think that, uh, you know, you know, we're playing like we we could beat Kamarnik three 0 on Saturday, 
But next week, it's the League Cup semi-final. It, 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 for me, I, I always think it's just a little bit different. It's Hamden, it's the, that, you know, yeah. five o'clock kickoff. It's a lot of pressure. It, it, you would kind of be maybe think about, I don't want to say you'd think twice about playing Bernabeu, but the question would be, you know, is he ready for this uh, sort of occasion? Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. I expect that to be the case. And I wouldn't think there'd be any kind of, um, there's no debate. I think, to be had for that if Taylor's fit, he plays. Um, but I, th- I think you're right. I think he'll enjoy playing at Celtic Park in a game like this, that we will dominate the ball. I mean, come on, not coming to Celtic Park. I think we're going to have 75% plus possession at yeah. a minimum. Uh, he'll have a lot of kind of room down that left-hand side to run into. Depends who's in front of him again. It's interesting to kind of, will Jota start? You know, will he start to build up to game time for um, the semi-final? Um how much kind of freedom is he going to get to to create? But I think Burnaby can can really make an impact. But I don't think no matter what he does, scores a hat trick. He's, he's probably not starting if Taylor's fit in the semi final. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about the semi final as as we get closer to it. Kamarnock themselves, uh, their last game was a draw uh, against St Mirren. Uh, then before that, they beat Aberdeen at home. One win in four games. Um, Two wins. Let's just see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Three wins and nine. They also went on a run of three defeats. Um, this is a very Derek McKinnissy team. Uh, it's just a kind of drop down from like he's brought in guys like Ash Taylor and he's got players that he played with. You know, he worked with at um, Aberdeen and such. They play with a three-five-two. Um, Jordan Jones. You know, there's a lot of just very Scottish Premiership being around the mill a little bit, uh, and Derek McInnes is kind of just kind of knitting them all together. Um, any fears from from what they'll present? Uh, no, I mean the the only fear is that the game will be shite. You know, it will be eleven men behind the ball and a lot of kicking and a lot of throw-ins that take forty-five minutes and stuff like that. Uh, that's the fear. So we need an early goal. It's always the same, I think, at Parkhead when you play these teams. Need an early goal. Get the fans going. Um, get the kind of party atmosphere. Every time Celtic Park feels like an early goal and it's like, oh, how many could this be? Yeah, That's when this Ange team particular, I think, plays the best because you get guys like Jota that feed off that. Like, there's nothing better, I think, than seeing Jota at Celtic Park when he's got somebody one-on-one and everybody's kind of up on their, yeah. their heels, kind of like expectant. I think he loves that. Um, and I think that's the kind of environment we need when we're playing these teams that are just there to to play, you know, not even anti-football, just to do nothing. Um, nothing. Yeah, that's my fear. My fear is that the game will be shite, but I don't fear them as a football team, and I never have. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> we Usually we have the um, opposition uh, podcast on, uh, given their kind of points of view. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of Kilmarnock podcasts. Um, I contacted uh, the Kelly Histories, um, asking um, if they would like to come on. Um, but they replied saying, uh, hi, thanks for asking me. I am the Kilmarnock program editor, so I don't think it'd be the right person to give opinions on players. Um, ah. But but he says he's going to get back to me. So what we'll do for the League Cup uh, semi-final is we will uh, have the Kilmarnock point of view for that. Christian will be back to give some tactical uh, knowledge as well as we kind of go into that huge, huge game. We'll have some build-up from there. Uh, in regards to Celtic... You've mentioned the two uh, centre-halves. It's delightful that they're both back and ready to rock. Um, Johnson, you seem to be impressed with that chap. Uh, I was myself. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleasantly surprised how easily he kind of um, came into the team. I've seen that wee video of him bursting down speed. He, lo- he looks a player. Love the way he speaks. Love the way he yes. speaks. I mean, sometimes you can fall into the trap of, you know, Americans are very media-trained. I know he's Canadian, you know what I mean? North, North, American. North Americans. Um, but he he just seems very, I don't know, he's very likeable. He, I think he, he his play in that first game backs up the way he acts in his press conferences. He seems like, you know, he's got that, that kind of work rate in him, that work ethic, and he talks about that, and he seems like very professional, um, but also very grounded. He's very aware of like the big club he's at. He's very excited by it. You know, he's, he's even, he's on Twitter and he's, he made those comments when we was getting signed about his phone blown up and he was all quite giddy about it. Yeah. Um, but his play like showed that. Like he was full commitment. He was very measured still though. He wasn't kind of rash. Uh, I thought that was really, really interesting. He put in like really hard tackles to show he was in a derby game. 
without lunging at people, without getting himself booked. Yeah. I just really like the, the guy's attitude and the guy's mentality. The only thing I would say is he can go on for a while in these press conferences when somebody asks him a question. He does need to tone that down a little bit as much as he says good things. Um, but I'm really, really excited about him. I just think, I don't think he's like, I don't for a second think he's near Juranovic yet. You know, we don't know what he can do really going forward. Uh, we don't know how he can fit into this system, how much he, how well he plays on the ball. But I think commitment-wise, defensively, what great was phenomenal um, at Ibrook. So it's it's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. He tucked in really quickly, really early, as if he really knew the role. Um, obviously, yep. they'd been kind of going through it and training and stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm delighted with him as well. And I'm, I'm looking to see where he can go, what levels he can get to. Um, if Taylor's out, you would start Bernabeu? Yes, I would, yeah. Yeah. Um, Joe Hart's in goals, of course. Um, Sadly. <laughs> I think a lot of people are getting to that point. Um, not to shit on Joe Hart. He was brilliant when he came in. He was the right man for the job. But I think a lot of people who potentially wouldn't have thought that Joe Hart would, at the goalkeeping position is a priority, maybe now think uh, the, the, the the position of being replaced maybe goes up a little bit. Well, we're, you know, we're upgrading. We're not, this is the thing. We're, we're another season on the Ange project. We're upgrading. We have to upgrade these players. Um, he will constantly be looking to upgrade the outfield, which we're all so happy with. You know, you couldn't imagine a world where we're upgrading on Hatate. We're upgrading on Kyogo right now. That seems so insane. But it's very reasonable to expect that we can upgrade on Joe Hart in a pretty straightforward manner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the midfield three, who would you go for? Uh, I think, who would I go for? Or who... I think it's going to play. One, uh, give me both. Oh dear. Probably, I, I probably, I probably. This is probably my expected lineup and what I would do because I feel like we can rotate. But I think Moy comes back in. Yep. Um, I think McGregor plays, and uh, I think Hatati plays again as well. Um, front three. I think Abada plays. Uh, I think Kyogo plays, and to be honest, I think Maida. I think Maida plays. And we'll just see Jota maybe come off the bench again and then start the semi-final. Ah, okay. Well, that's that's the thing. If you start, yeah. with I'm sure a lot of these players and the manager will have the kind of semi-final um, in their thoughts. So it'll be interesting to see. I think this lineup will give a lot about who starts uh, the semi-final. Um, so Abada, Kyogo, Maida. My- yeah. Um with uh, McGregor, Hatati and Moy. Yeah, yeah, I think you're I think that's probably what it's gonna be. Although having said that, he's starting to kind of just you know, Abogard will probably start, you know what I mean? Uh, you can always play Turnbull at Parkhead, I think. You yeah. can always play Turnbull at Parkhead. Yeah. Is he fit? Is Turnbull alive? Aye, he's he was he was suspended, remember? Ah, of course. Uh yeah. So I mean we're, we're getting to that point. Kobayashi being on the bench uh, at, at, at Ibrooks as well. You know, Jens kind of then drops out. There'll be questions about whether, you know, Jens is, you know, whether we make his loan, you know, permanent and stuff. There's just so many questions being kind of uh, brought up. And and as, you know, when you mentioned earlier, it's just really exciting thinking about how quickly this team changes and how it evolves and, I I'm I I welcome the idea that we're just consistently upgrading. But we get so comfortable with the quality. Like we we like the team so much, you know, which is a really good place to be. Where the idea of changing the players is is scary, but we know that every like the hit rate on the signings that have come from Ange have been so high that it is just exciting. And if Ange firmly believes these guys are an upgrade, you have to go along with them. Yeah. Um. I saw one of these stupid um Rangers blogs that are actually part of a newspaper kind of thing uh talking about it's like a tweet that was on my i think people were biting on it which is why it was there and it was a guy who was getting retweeted by them saying that um you know we are celtic are standing still that's why we drew because they're Celtic are so confident that we're standing still and rangers are upgrading them we're gonna and that's what the next two windows are going to be about celtic standing still like we signed three players before the new year <laughs> so it's even opened <laughs> But yeah, aye, exactly. That's a lot of nonsense. Um, prediction for the game, even it doesn't have to be the score, it can just be an incident or something happening within the game. What's your thoughts? Uh, 4 0 and a VAR penalty to Celtic. Oh, <laughs> addressing the balance, of course. Uh, yeah, balances it out itself out. Um, Celtic FC women travel to Falkirk for the Women's Scottish Cup. It's Sunday, it's 12 30 p.m. Um, I believe Claire Wilde will be going. Uh, she'll be in attendance. Uh, there's 
there's rumours today that Jacinta and Clarissa are. Oh, he's he's, he's not having. I it. can't. I can't do it. These there's rumours in the women's game are so strange because obviously there's not the same level of you know fake um, transfer guys on Twitter and stuff like that. So when they pop up, there's usually something behind, behind them, yeah. quite concrete. The Laracy one is so specific; it's really scary. It talks about a player swap thing, um, and then Jacinta get linked by a, a page that's quite good for this transfer news. Usually in the women's game, if there's a transfer link, it happens the next day. Yeah, it's it's like that. So I am, I am very worried because I don't see Celtic replacing players of that quality that easily. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a worrying time. But Scottish Cup, we're still in. The league is still within grasp, so it's still an exciting time to watch. Yeah, I, I do think though, like just from a purely competitive point of view, if you get rid of basically two of your top scorers and two, the, the two top scorers in the league, yeah, uh, both of them, I think that's yeah. wild. Um, but yeah the Celtic Women's Football Show uh, we're recording on Wednesday Lorenzo and Claire will uh, update you with all the news and uh, reviews Um, the Cynic itself uh, as we say Colin's article uh, is on the website if you go to thecynic.co there should be a link in your email Uh, the article itself is called uh, Celtic a generational support Colin takes a look at his own family Celtic support and history it's just really, really nice. It's a really, really well-written piece. It's a lovely piece. Um, check it out. Uh, there's links on Twitter. There's links in your email. And if you just go to thecynic.co, you can simply click it. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really, really great, thoughtful piece. Um, tomorrow, we'll have the reaction to the Celtic and Kilmarnock game. It'll be myself. It'll be Graham Mackay. And it will be Eddie Walsh. So check that out. Um, as we say, next week, we're back to full complement from Monday with the agenda. Uh, we'll have the review, which will be the breakdown of uh, the the derby and the Kamarnock game uh, and then as I say this month we'll have some um, plenty of features and we'll certainly have a transfer committee window uh, podcast so check it out okay we're going to end with fact or fiction I did send you the wrong, wrong fact or fiction questions and I apologise for that Lorenzo so these are very much uh, ones you haven't seen yet but I'm just going to start I asked two questions and you state if they are fact or fiction and why? Question one. VAR will improve. Uh, fiction. <laughs> because it it can't really change, can it? It's just the who's in charge of it. Exactly. I said it, Chris, I said it months ago. You can get the most expensive fighter jet money can buy. If a monkey's at the controls, a monkey's at the controls. Well put. Beautifully put. Uh, question number two from Fact and Fiction. Even if we bring in Chow and Gu, Kyogo will still be the number one striker. Fact. I think Kyogo is, you know, very much better than his number one. He has shown nothing which suggests his form is dipping, that he needs replaced. Uh, it's just active recruitment, I feel like. And, uh, you know, who's to say that there's... I don't think uh, there isn't a world in which Ange could accommodate two strikers. I think it would be very different to what he does. But I don't think he's that rigid. Um, I think as long as the system was still the system and they were both playing the roles he wants, I think that could happen. But that's I think we need to be careful as fans on cramming players into teams or expecting you know new signings or just uh, to come into the team and we should accommodate them. I think any new signing joining an Ange Celtic team should know they have a fight in their hands to get in it because we're playing very well. And I think that's an exciting part about being a new signing and if they're not up for that challenge, then he won't sign them. You know, I think uh, he'll, as you say, we said earlier about players coming from uh, leagues in Asia to Europe. That's the challenge for them is to come and prove that they can do it in Europe. You know, break into a team. Very few teams are going to just start you. Kyogo is much older than these two. Um, Kyogo came with a really, really good goal scoring record. One of the better players in Japan. Very well known international. So he could start in that team. And even here, we fight in his hands at the start. Um, so they've all got to go through that but I think Kyogo is very much the man it's just active recruitment for if Kyogo should go or if they could be better than him and as they say he is the man and to, to be the man you've got to beat the man so let's, uh, let's, let's go um, this has been terrific Lorenzo as always uh, thanks for getting involved uh, on the weekend update and we will speak to you soon thank you very much 
lovely stuff. Uh, as I say, we've got Colin's article on the website now. Check it out. It's terrific. Uh, we have the reaction uh, on Saturday after the Kamarnock game. And then Monday, we're back to uh, full throttle. Um, from Lorenzo Picciti, from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been the Weekend Update, and we'll speak to you down the road.